welcome to the final Backyard Farmer of the season. Seems like we just get started, the next thing you know, it's fall. So you have one more chance to give us a call to get those questions answered. You can dial 1-800-676-5446. Our volunteers will be happy to help you. Unfortunately, we will also not be answering any more emailed questions this season. We need to kind of take a break, but you can keep up to date with Backyard Farmer by following us on Facebook. We'll still be posting original content throughout the fall and winter on our YouTube channel. So time for samples. Kate, a sad leaf and probably the beast that ate it. Well, kind of. So I brought a wonderful example of nature's biocontrol. So as Kim mentioned, this is our sad leaf that has been clearly eaten by caterpillars. But if we take a closer look, we can see the remnants of the caterpillars or the cocoon right here, these little yellow things. Those are the cocoons of parasitoid wasps. And so these small parasitoid wasps, if you can see them in this bottle here, they're really small, they're black, they don't sting people, but they do sting caterpillars. And they'll lay their eggs inside the caterpillar. The caterpillar will be eaten alive by the larvae. And what you see here is the cocoons will form on the outside of the caterpillar or the, the cocoon of the, uh, the caterpillar itself. Um, and once the adults emerge, that that caterpillar and host dies. And so it's just a good reminder that we have integrated pest management. Yes, we want to get rid of the bad bugs, but we need to find ways to keep the good bugs too. And parasitoids are good bugs. Very interesting. I don't think we've ever had that one on the show. They're so cool. They're so cool. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Rock, uh, sad looking dandelion. A very sad looking, you already keyed it out. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> Some people are probably wondering why I brought in dandelion, and mostly because it's a reminder that our perennial broadleaf weeds, like dandelion, and uh, ground ivy or creeping charlie, as it's sometimes called, and even white clover, for those of you that don't want to promote and bring in um, pollinators, need to be controlled in the fall. You can burn them back and you can irritate them in the spring, but they, it's really not an effective time to do it. So this one's a little wilted and it hasn't been sprayed, it's just wilted, but um, you, know, you, you spray them now or in the next couple of weeks, and then again, three to four weeks later, and you're pretty much gonna eradicate over 90% of them. Um, because that plant is basically taking in, you know, all the carbohydrates and everything and shunning them down into the root system. So it takes that herbicide with them. So just remember, perennial weeds, fall applications. That's, that's the one takeaway from this sorry looking dandelion plant. <laughs> all right, excellent. Dennis, what in the world is that? Okay, so it's that time of year, it's getting colder. And even though it's our last show, it's also the time of year that critters wanna get inside. And the best way to do that is to exclude them because it takes so much effort to try to get them once they get inside, whether you use snap traps or poisons, what you wanna do is stop them from getting inside. This is just coarse steel wool, and you can use this with caulking around any holes. Now this does conduct electricity, so don't put it around anything that conducts electricity. But like a dryer vent or plumbing holes or where you have underneath a um, step or threshold, you just stuff the coarse steel wool in there and put caulking around it. We also have, if you have siding on your house, whether it's vinyl siding or aluminum siding, this goes right up underneath the corner of the siding so those mice cannot go up there. So you push this up on every corner, and again, you can get these on the web, and it stops the mice from going up behind the siding to get in the house. And for around the garage door, where you have the rubber that stops the snow from getting in, you can just use 
small pieces of metal like this, and that stops the, they can't chew like through the metal, the aluminum, like they can if, if the mouse wants to get into the house. And then on top for the vents, that for your bathroom and plumbing, squirrels lots of time, I always get calls about from plumbers that a squirrel dove down that hole because it was really cold and got stuck in that plumbing hole and then you have to get them out of there. These just fit right on top of the hole on the roof. The squirrel can't get down in there and you can easily, you know, take it out if it needs to be taken out to clean that or the air can easily come out the top. So the best thing this is to get ahead of your problems Stop those rodents now, and you won't have problems all winter. Excellent ideas if they look for those warm spots. I'm sure there's a joke in there somewhere, but this is public TV. Right. <laughs> right. Okay, John, goldenrod. So I have goldenrod, and the reason that I brought goldenrod is not just to talk about goldenrod, which is the state flower, um, but the goldenrod appears this time of the year, it starts blooming, and people also this time of the year start to have really bad allergy problems. Uh, and many people associate goldenrod with the allergies, and that actually isn't the case. If you have the fall allergies, the hay fever, that's usually uh, ragweed, which is not goldenrod. Uh, and the reason being goldenrod is a bee pollinated plant. So you will see bees swarming this plant and the pollen on goldenrod is so large and heavy and sticky that it would not blow on the wind. Uh, our uh, ragweed has very small pollen that blows in the wind very easily and you can actually see clouds of it sometimes coming off of the plant. So your allergy problems are not caused by goldenrod. This is a wonderful plant to have in the landscape. Don't blame it for your allergies. Perfect, and I love goldenrod. All right, Kate, you get the first round of pictures. Uh, these are turf, but there are insects in them. This is, uh, she reseeded some patches of dead grass. Notice these insects, they're real tiny in there. They're wondering if they're eating the seed and killing the grass, and are they something that she should worry about? No, at least the insects aren't to blame for this one. I had to zoom in quite a ways, but what we're looking at is a whole bunch of ants. It looks like there's winged ones in there, so they're probably just at the surface because they're getting ready to swarm and fly other places. Um, we don't usually see ants as issues in turf unless they're field ants where they make those big, you know, sand volcanoes. Um, it does make me think that maybe it's a bit dry if ants are nesting in there, which might be an issue. Otherwise, rock might have other ideas, but it's hard to tell from just the This photos. turf looks like it's hurting a little bit from lack of moisture, and so I'm, you know, the, but the ants aren't causing any damage, like you said, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, good. Uh, Kate, two more pictures on this one, too. This viewer also has uh, issues, wonders if he has grubs or a fungus. That's clearly not a fungus. Uh, the grass pulls back like carpet, but he didn't find a lot of grubs. He did put down a granular grub killer just real recently. He's wondering what else should he do? And again, there's the damage that he's seeing. Yeah, if the grass is rolling back, that's pretty classic grub damage, and you might <laughs> not be seeing them towards the surface. They could be deeper down in there, especially this time of year. I'd be curious to know what you treated with. Um, there are preventative products that work best in kind of late June for grubs. That's gonna be like imidacloprid. Um, right now for curative treatments, you're gonna be looking at products with Carbaryl or Dilox or something. So 
um, go ahead and give that a try. Just follow the labeled directions and kind of see how it does for next year. All right, and be ready to recede. Okay. Uh, Rock, you have uh, two pictures on the first ones. And this is, what is the best way to treat this species? This is chameleon plant. They've tried digging, and I think uh, additional pictures on this are holy cow's worth of roots and shoots. And she says if you dig all the roots, they just move to a different location. Yeah, it's a highly rhizomatous species, extremely um, aggressive. You know, it's even invasive in some states. I'm not sure of its status in, in Nebraska. But anyway, what, what, what the... What we recommend in this case is to cut it, but don't use a weed eater or something like Try to get a good cut. So even, even consider mowing it with the mower set on the highest side and then immediately spray it with a non-selective like glyphosate and then another 2,4-D or triclopyr type product immediately after you mow it. And, and you'll eradicate it in multiple applications. And now, like we mentioned earlier, now would be the time to do it. All right, and it it is a... That is a beastie. It's probably not going to be a one and done or two no. and done. It's going to be a three year and done, right? Okay. All right. You have three picks on the next one. Uh, this comes to us from Fremont. He says the weeds and vines are all over the yard, especially in the vegetable garden. He wants to know what they are. He wants to know how to e either control them or ideally get rid of them without killing the vegetable and the flower gardens. He does not plan on planting the garden next year. So he's wondering if he should use something like ground clear. So let's start, let's move backwards in that question. Ground clear has, is a long residual scorched earth type product. So putting it down, we don't always get the weather that we want and it could carry over into the next year when he wants to go back in and spray the, or put, excuse me, grow the, grow the vegetables. Um, the first one is, the first one we looked at was filled bindweed. The second one was purslane. Um, filled bindweed has soil, excuse me, has seeds that can stay in the soil up to 70 years, uh, according to the Bill Garden work at Michigan State, my alma mater. Water, and then uh, um, purslane is actually relatively easy to control with pre-emergence. So use a preen type product um, in the bed and then the area that he's not planted, then it'll just stay on top of that with any of a, the broadleaf herbicides or even something uh, um, you know that doesn't have the longest soil residual like glyphosate as it comes up because it's going to continue to come up all season long, but just stay on top of it since he doesn't have any of the vegetables in there. And then where he does plant his vegetables next year, because I guarantee there's probably weed seed in there, hit it with some uh, a preen for vegetable gardens. All right, excellent. For pre-emergent control. All righty. Uh, Dennis, yes. you have uh, one picture on this first one. This comes to us from Lexington. He thinks all these mounds are pocket gophers, and he's trying to get rid of them. Uh, when he tries to find their tunnels so he can use pellets, the sand just falls back in the hole after he sticks the dowel down there. Right. So this is definitely pocket gophers. Their main runs are actually at a 45-degree angle away from the, I mean, not under those. So you should be, you have to, to put down the pellets, you can pierce between the mounds to you find an opening, and they sell apparatus to do that. Or you can dig this with your trowel till you feel the, find the cross run, put the pellets in the cross run, and then put the dirt back in the hole so they don't see light, because they see light, they'll just push the pellets right out. Hmm. So you have to make sure that the pellets are in the open hole, not with dirt on top of them, because they have a tendency, if they see light, to push everything in front of their face out. All right. And there's several types of pellets and that do are labeled for pocket gophers. 
Okay, uh, two pictures on the next one, and this one comes to us Burwell near Calamus. Mm -hmm. He thinks he's asking how to prevent kangaroo rats in the lawn. Well, this is gophers as well, not kangaroo rats. Kangaroo rats leave an open hole with no mounds, and they do very, very little damage to turf. They're a granivore. They eat yuccas, so they're usually around when the yucca seeds are around. So the same thing, just like uh, previously, the pocket gopher pellets can be put into the burrows, the cross burrows. All right, excellent. You have one more. This is a Lincoln viewer who says uh, he's seeing rabbits sitting in the grass and chewing. And the question is, do they make holes now and live in them in the winter, or what do they do other no. than get eaten by um, foxes? Yeah, get eaten by foxes. But um, rabbits, of course, can eat a lot of vegetation. But our rabbits, cottontail rabbits, and rabbits here found in the United States don't dig holes. They dig forms where they have their young just about six inches down, and they lay on top. <laughs> in the winter, they go underneath things, underneath decks in big stags of branches. European bunnies, rabbits, do dig holes. So Bugs Bunny must have been European because he had a long hole with a couch and a TV. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, there was a joke in there somewhere. <laughs> it's always a joke when it's Dennis. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, John, you have one picture on the first one. This comes to us from Omaha. He's wondering how to overwinter these canna lilies. He dug them last year. He put them in peat moss in a cool basement, but most did not come up this year. Should he wash the dirt off completely and air dry? Is there something better than peat moss to store them in? There's definitely um, an art and a science to overwintering um, roots and bulbs like this. So in the basement is key. You want it in a cool, dry place. And so, but you also want it to be humid enough so that it doesn't dry out. Uh, so that's where your surrounding material comes. Uh, and so putting it in, a, in the basement is great. What I would think about doing, uh, the peat moss would work, but you wanna make sure, you know, it doesn't need to be wet, but it needs to be a little, just a touch uh, of moisture in there. You can also use straw or shredded newspaper or something like that. Uh, and if you do have a place in your basement that feels, you know, not damp, but the air feels a little more like it has some moisture in it, that would help. All right, uh, two pictures on the next one. This one is a golden privet or yellow privet. Discolored leaves faces southeast. It does have drip, full sun. She does wonder if this is mildew, which it is, but then the real question is, can it be rejuvenated, cut all the way back? And if so, when does she do that? Yeah, so that is definitely uh, some mildew on there. And I think rejuvenation, so we, if we don't prune uh, shrubs, uh, we sort of get leggy growth uh, in a lot of shrubs and pruning them back allows them to bush out. So I would definitely look at doing that. Uh, when to, to prune privet, I would say, you know, I'm not a privet expert, but I'm thinking more when it's dormant. Uh, so I would, you could either do fall or like spring before things start getting going. <laughs> exactly. All right. Thanks, John. Well, you know, every week we give you updates from the Backyard Farmer Garden. This week we dive into how it is helping students in our community. Big Red Resilience and Wellbeing, a program on Nebraska's campus, offers services such as suicide, alcohol, and drug abuse prevention. There's also another department most aren't aware of. The Husker Pantry offers a um, service to any student on the UNL campus, and we offer 
food security resources, both within the campus itself and then also in the community at large. The program started with the local nonprofit Produce from the Heart, which worked with farmers markets to recover and distribute unsold produce. But when Produce from the Heart folded, the garden took matters into their own hands. So we just went straight to the food bank, knowing that there was a new one here on East Campus also, where we could maybe bring and just take that produce to them directly instead of having that middleman. An average between 1,500 and 2,000 pounds of produce a year is donated by the Backyard Farmer Garden, making their partnership with the Husker Pantry a no-brainer. We offer a ton of rice. We offer a lot of great vegetables, meats. Most food banks and most food pantries, it's always shelf-stable food that they have there. And being able to have you know, fresh tomatoes and fresh peppers and, and those kinds of things are really important. We offer a few hygiene staples as well, and um, snacks, snack items, and anything from just um, you know, individuals in dorms or um, families that need a little bit more food. All Nebraska students are eligible just by being enrolled at the university and by filling out a simple form using their NUID. Orders are accommodated to the needs of each student. So our current um, capacity and what we fill our bags um, is tailored to about a week based on family size. And students that need more are always able to access more food. They can shoot us an email or come see us. So we really want to make sure that it stays in our community and it really helps those of us here. So being able now to make sure that it's going straight to the students really is, is really what we really wanted to do long term. Many students face food insecurity at some point or another, so being a part of something so special means the world to Emily. I mean, I feel really honored to be able to do this. I just enjoy it a lot, but I also think that a big part of the pantry as a resource is that destigmatizing it. There should be no concern about ever needing to access our resources. It's not something to be embarrassed or ashamed of. We do love this partnership. We hope it grows in the future. And if you do want to help stock the pantry even more, you can visit pantry.unl.edu. So that's a pretty good program. All right, Kate, picks are yours. First one here uh, comes to us from Lawrence, Kansas, mm -hmm. <laughs> kind of. Kind of. <laughs> and she says these are on her porch. She's just never seen them before. So I was actually sent this exact picture a couple of weeks ago, and I had her bring the specimens into my lab because I couldn't tell what they were from the picture. Um, I did a little bit dissection with them, and so these are actually the um, larval or the pupal cases of mason bees. So mason bees are small, solitary bees, kind of closely related to leafcutter bees, but they're called mason bees because they use this mud concoction that they'll surround their young in, and they usually actually do it in, um, you know, like empty tubings or some protected area and not out in the open like this, which is why they kind of have a weird drip form to them. Um, because they're bees, they are beneficial in pollinators. Unfortunately, I was told that these were sprayed before they were figured out what they were, but I'm just kind of a reminder to kind of see what it is before we reach for that insecticide. But um, we usually don't see them out in the open like this, so it's kind of neat. Very neat, all right. One picture on the next one. Uh, Omaha, her only question is, what is this crazy thing? 
It is a crazy thing. This is a wheel bug. It's a type of assassin bug, and so it's a generalist predator just out in the landscape. Yes, they do have a really painful bite um, if you try to handle it. Otherwise, they don't really care about you. They just wander around. So just don't touch it. It's one of the look but don't touch bugs. Okay. Uh, you have a question from this viewer who says he killed this in his backyard. He's wondering, is this a tiger mosquito? Um, it's definitely in the 80s genus, which is um, the tiger mosquitoes belong in. Um, I will just, mosquitoes in general, caution that Nebraska is kind of one of the hotspot states for West Nile virus, and we've gotten um, 20 times more positive mosquito pools of West Nile than previous years. And so it's going to be a big issue this year. So even though this isn't a West Nile mosquito, just be sure to wear repellents and be safe with mosquitoes. All right, and two on the next one. This comes to us from rural uh, western Oto County. Saw these, there's a little, there's another little thing associated with it. They're worried that these are termites, but they're in the open ground, so what are we? These are termites. Um, just like the ants, these are swarming termites, so when they're ready to swarm and go off and start new colonies, they produce winged reproductives like this. And you see them in the ground because the only termite species we get here in Nebraska are subterranean termites, which means that they live in the soil. And so when we see damage in homes and structures is because untreated wood is in contact with that soil. So if it's near your house or near another structure like a shed, I would probably contact a pest management professional, you know, get an inspection done, make sure that that structural wood is protected in some way um, because they're really cool, great decomposers in the wild, but not so great when they're near our home. All right. Thank you, Kate. Rock, you have um, basically, excuse me, <clears throat> three or four that are sort of a bundle here, which is what is the weed? How can it be controlled? How do we control it in the next one, which is an area with uh, rock ground cover, no ground cover, cover fabric? Will a pre-merge work? The next ones are driveways. So these first two, what do we think here? So it's it's a non-plant area, right? It's a it's a rock bed or it's a gravel bed or whatever you want to call it, and rock landscaping. And you know, I'm not a big fan of that, but they do serve their purpose. Um, but this is a great candidate for something like ground clear, right? Because you know, you want a longer residual type pre-emergent product. So you put these down in the spring. Ground clear is readily available at most of your garden stores and online. Um, and then it no weeds will grow there. But if you have any plant material you, you want to plant there, then certainly that means you can't do that. But these are all just gravel beds, so I would go with something like ground clear. If they wanted to use a pre-emergent herbicide, they certainly could, but they'd be putting it down three to four times during the course of the season because that those rock beds heat up and they get more weeds and whatever. And uh, by the way, those are those are all spurge, prostrate or spotted spurge. And this has been a banner year in Nebraska, especially Eastern Nebraska for spurge. I don't think I've ever seen in my 33 years of being here the kind of populations of uh, prostrate and uh, uh, spotted spurge that we've had, so it's crazy. All right, you have two picks on the next one, speaking of spurge. Uh, they, they used to have fescue. Uh, they, they did have it reseeded. Uh, the weeds were killed first. It was rototilled, planted a, a, a white label grass as opposed to they now know they should have gotten certified seed. This is what came up. So I'm going to say, you know, the, the implication is that the seed, it was in the, the grass seed. And I'm just going to say there was a residual seed population that they brought in when they rototilled, right? 
And, and, you know, we often suggest rototilling if the soil needs to be amended or whatever. But for the most part, you don't want to be tilling your ground because you're going to be bringing weed seeds up. So unless there's a reason to do corrective action on the soil, don't rototill deep um, and simply seed and slit seed into there. But once again, that area is going to need to be reseeded. Um, they, you know, the prostrate knotweed is going to die with the frost. I would get a, a slit seeder of some kind loaded up with some turf type tall fescue or maybe even buffalo grass because it's between two driveways and it's probably a hot spot and that may be an, an ideal location um, for buf buffalo grass but uh, turf type tall fescue or buffalo grass and keep it moist and wet maybe mulch it up um, and then they should be ready to go um, next spring all right and I think you have one more and this has taken over the landscape border starts green and then turns rusty brown same thing uh, yeah, but it's yellow wood sorrel, so at the end of the day, it's, it's a different weed, but it can still be controlled pre-emergent. And it can be perennial south of here in Kansas, but generally it's a, it's a weak, weak um, perennial and a annual here. And, but it does have a unique seed dispersal mechanism where it literally dries out and then it flicks that seed up to 16 feet away. Okay. Dennis, you have one yeah. picture on this one. Uh, actually, just one, although he has multiple trees with this. Different parts of the yard. And if you zoom in, you can see what's happened on the trunk. The trunk damage is all the same. It's not mower blight. He wonders yeah, yeah, the looks, chewing and gnawing. What's going on? Yeah, it's it's squirrel or rabbit, probably more towards a squirrel. It looks like it's a peach tree, mm -hmm. and it's being chewed at the uh, graft, which would be very tasty for a squirrel. <laughs> so I'm, I'm saying squirrel with this one. All right. Um, three picks on the next one. This comes to us uh, in the acreage south of Lincoln. Mm -hmm. They had 30 uh, swamp white oaks planted about three years ago. They're this height. One of the 30 had this interesting damage. Yeah. What's eating on it? It's not eating. It's a deer rubbing. Yep. Uh, a deer just came right up and wants to rub that velvet off and, and you can tell the way it's, the way it's rubbed and even the way the twigs are rubbed, it's, it's deer rubbing. And so how does she protect from that? You can cage it or during the summer, if you hang soap on the, you know, um, different types of soap, that does not work in the winter for deer, but it works in the summer for deer. All right, and two picks on the next one. Um, thought it was an insect, but uh, we're thinking not insect on this. Yeah, I was looking at this. There, there's actually several things going on. I'm thinking some of the holes may be, I see a little miner in there too, um, but some of the holes are probably maybe rasp of a slug or a thing, but the edges could be a rodent insect or a 13 line ground squirrel, but it, it, they took the picture after it's healed, so I can't see teeth marks to tell you which rodent did it. Um, yes. All righty, thanks. All right, uh, John, you have the first three or four are pretty much the same thing. What's mm -hmm. happening with the tree? This is Northeast Lincoln. It is a maple. The second two are what's happening with this tree, uh, which is in a parking lot, and it's only the side closest to the parking lot. The next one is a bald cypress, and they're wondering whether it is from lack of water or something else. So those three bundled together, what do we have going on? The answer is yes, and. Uh, so we've got scorch going on there. So with those maples, they very easily get scorched. So that can be a combination of lack of water and then also very bright sunlight. So I think I read the question about the one on the parking lot where it was actually like half of the tree was right. scorched and the other half wasn't. 
The not scorched side is on the north side. Right. The scorched side is on the south side that gets direct sunlight. Yeah. Uh, and so we have that happening. And I think with the bald cypress, it is just the same. It has been so hot and so dry in Nebraska this year that if you aren't watering trees, you can get stuff like this. All right. So it's just just mother nature. Yeah. Okay. Uh, one more picture. This is uh, a, a viewer who had regular old mulch. This is an Omaha viewer. Removed it, put down a filter fabric and a lightweight rock, and then the hydrangea has done this. Should was that a good move or bad one? That was not a good move. So Rock says had, that he doesn't mind Brock, and well, of course. Uh, In the right no, I said I did mind it. Oh, you did mind <laughs> yeah. it. Right. But horticulturalists, if you ask a horticulturalist, the only thing that we hate more than that landscape fabric is putting rocks around plants. Rocks mm -hmm. around plants, they heat up and they can damage plants. And as the fabric, it says that, that it uh, allows water through, it really creates a barrier. It reduces the oxygen flow into the soil uh, and you get weeds growing through it. Um, and so I, most horticulturalists will tell you, do not use fabric uh, and real mulch, not rocks. I right. wish the, per the people who owned my house before me knew this. Every time I sink a shovel into the ground, I find landscape fabric hidden of, underneath. Of course. Right now, of course, it is time for lightning. All right, John, you're up. This is a viewer who uh, is lamenting hailstorm damage, 10 minutes worth, quarter-sized hail, damage all the way up the sides and branches of trees. Are they goners? They could be, have diseases get in and damage to the trees. All right, we have a viewer who says, all his pears are green, they're hard. He boiled them, they're still hard. What happened? Well, they're hard pears. Uh, probably <laughs> uh, maybe an Asian variety that isn't a soft pear like a Bartlett. All right, we have a papillion viewer who cut down three barberry bushes three weeks ago and they're trying to grow back. How does he stop them? Uh, you can use a uh, uh, herbicide like uh, glyphosate. All right. Um, is there a permanent solution for the morning glories that continue to re-sprout all over this particular viewer's garden? Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> there is, uh, so, so this is a chlorinated water question, which okay. is should you let it stand so the chlorine will dissipate before you use it on your house plants? Um, I would say yes. Some of them are sensitive to chlorine and chloramine. <laughs> All right, excellent. So those are not the same thing. Okay, nice job. Dennis, you ready? Yep. I was born ready. Uh -huh. Speaking of pears, your first one comes to us from Wayne, mm -hmm. and they are wanting to know how to protect their pears from squirrels. Put a netting over it, like bird netting, and kind of tie it to uh, weigh it at the bottom. All right, uh, we have a viewer here in Lincoln who is asking a series of questions about coyotes starting on when during the day are they most active? They're primarily nocturnal, but with dogs and other animals, they'll be maybe in the morning better. All right, uh, are numbers of coyotes climbing in urban areas? Yes, well, the urban areas are moving into their territory. All right. So yes, people are seeing them more in the periphery because we're pushing them. All right. A Shadron viewer is wondering, where are the hummingbirds? Good question. I've seen a bunch of them, so it might be just in one area where a lot of insecticide may be used or there's not enough 
fruit for them. All right. Uh, would rabbits stand on their back legs to chew the tops off plants? Sure. <laughs> okay. We'll hop right to it. <laughs> Gosh, Dennis. Okay, Rock. Are you ready? No, because I have to giggle at that a little bit. Yeah, we're good. <laughs> okay. This is an Auburn viewer who is wondering whether a 1257 fertilizer is a good starter for new grass. Yes. All right. Is September too late to, or 23rd, excuse me, too late to aerate and overseed in the Omaha area? No. We have a Scotts Bluff viewer who has Kentucky bluegrass that is spread over the metal edging. He's used glyphosate, but then it just fills back in again. What is the permanent solution? Um, they don't have that deep enough because, you know, bluegrass spreads by rhizomes, so that edge is not deep enough and it's growing up underneath it. All right. A Syracuse viewer wants to know, what is the fall fertilizing schedule? Um, usually around September and then no later than the first or second weekend of October because we don't want to put it on too late in the season or just don't do that second application. All right. Um, can you use preen on weeds in the fall? And if so, when? This is a DeWitt viewer. Um, so I would be waiting about two weeks from now, but that's definitely a great idea. And you'd get your, you know, you'd get your hen bit and your chickweed and some of the other winter annuals that can be problematic. All right. Ammoniated fatty acid as a weed killer. Is it safe at any temp? Um, when you get a little bit hotter, it's going to burn maybe more than you want it to, but you're trying to kill that plant. So... You know, what, I don't understand what the issue is. <laughs> they wanted to, it's a non-selective, so certainly. Okay. Yeah. Cool. That one doesn't count. All right. It should count. <laughs> Kate, <laughs> we have an Omaha viewer who wonders, uh, when does the monarch egg laying stop? Soon-ish. <laughs> I don't remember. I'll pass. Oh, gosh. It's starting off terrible. Okay, let's keep going. We have a, we have a Wakefield viewer who uh, has honeybees by the, by the 50s in their hummingbird feeder. Is the hummingbird food harmful to hum honeybees? Um, assuming it's just sugar water or nectar, no. All right. An Elm Creek viewer wants to know how to kill box elder bugs by the thousands and how to keep them out of the house. Um, keep them out of the house the exact way Dennis just showed us for his sample. Um, killing them, you have to do like a timely perimeter outside house treatment. All right. Uh, we have several questions now from Boys Town and other areas about people seeing big bagworm bags. What to do? Um, when the season's kind of done, their activity is ended October um, throughout the winter, just pull as many of those bags off as you can because there's going to be lots of eggs in those. All right. Douglas County viewer wants to know what is the insecticide that you can use on house plants before you bring them in? Something. Something. Okay. Insecticidal soap. We'll go with that house, answer. House plant systemic. <laughs> A systemic. <laughs> Check to make sure you can use it on that plant, though. Yes. Yes. Right. <laughs> yeah, the panel does help one another. So what are the... <laughs> I think it's the first time ever because he's always chatty. <laughs> Maybe. I'm going to get all the way. I also have the record of getting eight, so hey. Oh, there we go. There we go. Plant of the week, boys, stop. <laughs> okay, what are our plants of the week? Our plants of the week. So we have this uh, beautiful um, grass here. This is Dallas Blue Switchgrass. It's a huge cultivar of our native switchgrass. Uh, you can't tell it from this sample, uh, but this grass can grow up to eight feet tall. Uh, so a wonderful grass for your landscape. 
And then we've paired that uh, this evening with this orange peach dwarf celosia. Uh, some people call this ver like form coxcomb, uh, but this is a, a celosia. They're related to lots of other things, uh, 18 inches or shorter and full sun. Awesome. Thank you, John. All right, Kate, uh, first question here. She found this one on a redbud tree in Elkhorn. What is it? It's an American dagger moth caterpillar. It's a pretty unremarkable moth, in my opinion. <laughs> but the caterpillar is cool. <laughs> we have uh, another caterpillar question. This is Aurora. These are eating holes in the rhubarb leaves. What are they? These are yellow woolly bears, which will turn into the Virginian tiger moth, and they're quite pretty. Um, if they bother you, you can just pick them off and throw them somewhere. Okay. Yeah. Then we have uh, two pictures on this next one. Super neat caterpillar from Omaha. What is this one and what are the four large things on its back? So this is a white marked tussock moth caterpillar and tussock moth caterpillars are also one of those look but don't touch um, because they have venom glands associated with the hairs on their bodies. And so if you touch them, you'll get really rashy, really irritated, really hurt. So um, that's, and those tufts of hair are just kind of characteristic for the tussock moths. All right, and one more, and this is a Council Bluffs viewer who found this on the tomato plant. Looks like a parasite took over the caterpillar. Yeah, this is exactly what I showed for my sample, just a different caterpillar. So biocontrol, those are the wasps' cocoons, and when the wasps come out, the caterpillar will die. Okay, Rock, uh, three picks on this first one. This is a Torrington, Wyoming viewer. It's a pasture grass. She thinks it's some kind of a brome, and if it is, she wonders how to keep it out of the flower beds. Yeah, this is smooth brome, and the only really way to, it's got rhizomes, but they're not very long. So extend your bed out about two feet, but don't plant anything that can move into it, and then you catch the rhizomes as it comes up through the mulch with an organic mulch bed, right? That's the only way to really keep brome from invading a flower bed. So they've got to extend their bed two feet. All right, uh, two picks on the next one. This is a tall fescue lawn, found this invasive something by runners. Uh, he dug it out, but here it is back again, and I think we have another picture from another viewer, and they all say it spreads like crazy. Yeah, this is nimble will, and it's a very aggressive perennial warm season grass. Um, uh, luckily, we now have a control for it with the mesotrione or tenacity, uh, usually three applications at about five ounces in the spring. Unlike most perennials, as I said earlier, most perennials are better thrown in the fall, but this is better controlled in the spring. Three applications about two to two and a half weeks apart. We should take care of it. Perfect. And one picture from Burwell uh, near Calamus. What is this grass and how do you get rid of it? I'm not sure. I, it's, you know, there's a, I can't really see a seed head on it. It could be tumble windmill grass, but it might also be perennial ryegrass based on its growth habit and the way it looks, but so we need a little bit closer picture of the seed head. All right. Dennis, one pick on this one. Uh, they were looking through the winter, or I'm sorry, this is the wrong picture on this one. This is, well, this is Woodhouse Toad. This is Woodhouse Toad. Yep. So this was found in Dawson County. Yep, they're there. So very cool. All right, then we have a couple more pictures on this one. So this is the Oto County, little guy, mm -hmm. tiny. What is this? This is um, Cope's Gray Tree Frog, very common in the eastern part of the state, but now expanding along the plot. Little tiny thing like that. Yeah. Okay, then we have 
a picture here of oh. this, two pics. I know Too you'd beautiful. be happy about this. Yeah, this is a prairie rattlesnake. I love them. All right, and that was found by a lion. Just like Kate said, you know, don't touch, just watch. <laughs> if you touch them, you can't, it can be very painful, so just watch and walk the other way. All right. Um, then we have a Swedberg viewer who was visited by a very docile dove, That's and it. he did find a band on it. Yeah, so I is can, this part of a study? It's someone's pigeon. No, um, this is um, people have fancy pigeons for, you know, show and, and that's one that got away. Okay. So that's okay. All right. Not a Game of Just Parks band. That some people will no. show anything at a yeah. fair. Right. That, that's All a right. personal band. It's not a research band. Okay. <laughs> Two picks on the first one, John. This comes to us from Juanita. She thought she planted butternut squash, but she got this. What is it? So that, uh, I believe, so it could either be a, a Cinderella pumpkin, which are s squashed flat, uh, or it's uh, a New Jersey cheese gourd or squash. Uh, either way, it's edible. They are related to butternut, so there could have been a mix up with the seed. All right, two picks on the next one. Uh, this one comes to us from Bellevue. All the tomatoes she grew turned red, had yellow veins. The hard veins never ripen, and they don't taste like tomatoes. What happened? So those hard parts, the, the whitish or yellow in the center, that's actually a reaction to excessive heat. Uh, so when, we, when tomatoes have really excessive heat, uh, they get those hard parts in it. They don't taste as, as good. So the one thing you can do, you can't control the temperature, but you could use shade cloth to, to cool the tomato plants down a little bit to try to avoid that. Some cultivars also are more likely to do it than others. All right, one pick on the next one. Uh, this one comes uh, from Alliance, absolutely loaded. He did not thin those trees, so is that what we have just going on, do you think? Yeah, I think so. So once uh, fruits start to ripen, they take a lot of water, uh, and I think uh, that the fruit are just sucking the water out of the tree, and it's causing the leaves to dry up and, and die. Okay, and two picks on the next one. This comes to us from southwest Nebraska. 15-year-old cherry tree did not produce cherries. Does it look like it's dying? Uh, it could be, it could also just be a temporary thing, an environmental thing with all the dry going on. I would just wait and see. All right. Thank you, John. Well, we have had another great season out in our garden this year. For our last feature of the season, let's look back at the backyard farmer garden from bare soil to full bloom.
do hope you enjoy that time lapse as much as we do. Do keep in mind our show might be ending, but you can still visit that garden any old time. All right, a couple of announcements tonight. The first is, yes, we are still doing our Grow-A-Row, Tuesdays, 437. Bring your produce donations. We will donate them. Our second one is a Nebraska Extension composting demonstration, September 23rd in Pioneers Park. So learn how to make do with all those great things. All right, Kate, three picks on the first one. This is so cool. This came to us from Sydney. She wonders what this mantis is doing. This mantis is laying her egg sac, which is called an Othica. So um, come next spring, early summer, that'll hatch out many, many, many little baby mantids. Isn't that cool? Mm -hmm. All right, uh, one picture on the next one. This comes to us, uh, let's see, not sure where. Oh, Wayne, several of these on the west side of the house. Is this a grasshopper or a Katie did? It is a katydid. Um, I'm not 100% positive, but I think it's a short-winged meadow katydid. Um, and this one's a lady. She's got a nice little ovipositor, and she'll, she'll lay her eggs um, in plant stems, but pretty cool. All right, and one more, and this is the first one of the season. Saw this beautiful spider hanging out in Kearney. Uh, the web is about three feet across. So what is this? This is a yellow garden spider and they're very striking. Um, it's definitely orb weaver season right now. We have orb weavers everywhere. Um, I was at a state park, they were everywhere. They're everywhere in my backyard. And this is one of the orb weavers. And so orb weavers make these really beautiful, intricate webs. Um, and the yellow garden spider is probably the most noticeable one because of that beautiful color. And she's so big. And she's so big, yes. All right, thank you, Kate. Uh, Rock, your first one comes to us from Carney. They moved into their, uh, their home about a year ago. They cut out a trumpet vine that was overgrown. Now it is coming up all over the lawn. How can they kill it? So this is, you know, you go back to the main trunk of it, and I know there's gonna be trumpet vine trumps stumps everywhere. You cut it and immediately treat it with glyphosate, and that'll translocate back through, and they're gonna probably have to do this multiple times over multiple seasons. Right, and it's coming up all over in our uh, backyard farm Backyard farmer garden, garden as well. Yep. Okay, two picks on the next one. Uh, she is wondering what kind of weed this is and what's the best way to get rid of it. So this is four o'clock and that's the fleshy taproot that's very typical of four o'clock. Um, it flowers at four o'clock, no, it flowers in early afternoon, but um, it's really cool because it's not night bloomer, which is very rare um, or relatively rare at the end of the day. But uh, so these, these are um, difficult to control with like any kind of conventional, you try to use glyphosate, it doesn't work. But if you mix glyphosate and triclopyr together or spray one and then spray the other, you can do a pretty good job realizing that of course you're using a non-selective plus a broadleaf one. So keep it off your sensitive ornamentals. And don't let it go to seed. And don't let it go to seed. <laughs> Which ours did in the backyard farmer garden. Okay, one more <laughs> picture. Uh, this viewer uh, wonders, is this mulberry weed, it is showing up in downtown Lincoln and how do they control it? This is mulberry weed and it's interesting because it's in the same family of the mulberry tree, but it's an annual and a prolific seed producer. Um, you can control it pre-emergent relatively easy. It said it was in landscape beds, so use a standard landscape pre-emergent herbicide. And the other side of that coin is, is that um, you can spray it with pretty much anything broadleaf, like up until it gets to about four inches, and then after that, you're just wasting your time and energy. All right, thank you so much. Dennis, uh, this is an interesting one. So this is a viewer who saw something that looked like this, they thought, 
come running out of a bean field in Sarpy County. And they did say it was hairless gray, medium-sized, and had rounded ears, and obviously it was not this. No, this is a painted dog from Southern Africa uh, that has mange. What they probably saw was a coyote with mange or a feral dog with mange. Okay. So depending on the size, and the ears stick up more, depending on the variety of coyote or a dog, um, and it, because of the mange. Okay, all right. Yeah. Uh, three pics on the next one, and this is actually students who sent these pictures in, found these holes all around newer trees and shrubs in the Rose Garden and Sunken Garden here in Lincoln. Yep. The plants were not doing very well. What's going on and is well, it eating the roots? No, this is a squirrel burying his nuts or burying rose hips, and squirrels will dig three times as many holes as they actually bury stuff, just to fool everybody. Really? Yeah. So that's all just squirrels? Yep. And so the damage that they're doing to the roots is really has little to do well, with... Well, they dig like this. Right? They're just, yeah. they're just yeah. doing tree rat things. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah, I know. <laughs> they are tree rats. Yeah, okay. <laughs> okay, John, we actually have time for you to answer questions oh, for Oh, good. Once. Thank you, people. <laughs> now, we don't have very good questions, but... No. <laughs> The first one comes to us from Holdridge. Um, I love this one. This is, please settle a marital difference of opinion. Mm -hmm. She does not allow her husband to throw the coals off the charcoal grill on the plants because she thinks it hurts the plants. He says it's good for them. What do we say? I am, I hate to get into the middle of arguments like this, uh, but I am going to side with the wife here. Uh, so th there are nutrients in ashes. There's like phosphorus and stuff like that. But you really don't know what you need unless you have a soil test and you have no way of knowing what's actually in here. There's also usually lots of uh, like heavy metals in ashes as well. So I would not put it in the garden. Well, and the real big deal on charcoal from the grill is did they use charcoal lighter right it's the lighter fluid like what yeah. what is in there it is it's not good don't do it okay all right uh, then we have uh, an identification one this comes to us from a Blair viewer she does want to know can we identify it and then is it beneficial to wildlife or should we get rid of it uh, that is bittersweet uh, and it's really interesting uh, later in the season those what looks like yellow they'll like pop open and they'll be vibrant red there uh, are different bittersweets and I'm not sure if this is the more invasive one it's not this is the more American the, the American not the the I think it's a it's an orient it's Japanese oriental. bittersweet oriental. Um, mm -hmm. so this one is a native uh, Beneficial? I'm not sure, but it's very pretty. Right. It'll be spread by birds, and mm -hmm. uh, it is worth a fortune at farmers markets. Yes. <laughs> for, like the for fall decor, for people put it in wreaths. People put it in like a holiday greenery stuff, that kind of stuff. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, so make a little money on it. <laughs> okay. And two picks on this last one, which is a pretty simple question. He asked, "Is this lettuce?" <laughs> that is actually lettuce. Uh, that's probably a romaine lettuce that has bolted. Uh, and so it's gone to flower. Uh, lettuces do that when it's in heat, uh, when there's a lot of heat and it's hot. Uh, and so that is probably a romaine lettuce. Once it does that, it is not tasty edible. It's very bitter and very harsh. All right. We have one minute, so I'm going to ask one question, which is fall tips from... 
entomology for the fall? What should people do? Oh, interesting. Um, well, if you have um, a garden where you've had like issues with overwintering pests, you know, squash bugs, phlox bugs, things that'll spend their time in leaf litter. Um, fall is a really good time to clean up that leaf litter or any other um, hiding spaces that um, you can help prevent populations next year. On the flip side of that, we also want to make sure that we're leaving some habitat for beneficial insects like bees and predators um, that are going to be spending their time there. So if you've had issues in the past, clean that garden up. Um, and if not, just leave the leaf litter for the bees. So leave the leaves. Leave the leaves, yes. All right, and nobody else gets a question because that was not lightning and she gave a really, really, really good answer. Thank you. You can have the trophy. <laughs> All right. Well, <laughs> so unfortunately, we are out of time for this season of Backyard Farmer. It's been another great experience hearing from our loyal audience, helping them with all the great questions they send us every single week. Along with that, we of course want to thank our expert panelists from Nebraska Extension and the University for their hard work researching those questions for their dedication to the show. Special thank you to our volunteer phone panel. They show up every week, they help with your calls. We also, of course, want to give great thanks to our partners here at Nebraska Public Media for their contributions to the production of Backyard Farmer. We have come to the end of another season. We can't wait for spring, oh yeah, we kind of can, to come do it all over again. So, thank you so much for watching and supporting us. Good night, good gardening. We'll see you all next year right here on Backyard Farmer.